Maybe if I spoke like this all the time, that would turn you on. <laughs> I could talk about how role-playing games can be juicy. Moist. Juicy? <laughs> Did you say juicy? Juicy. Oh my god. And moist. Oh my god! The word s- moist doesn't bother me, but it bothers a lot of people. I know. No, it's it's fantastic. Uh, and that's why I used to, um, when I was working in Kenya, uh, I used to bake cakes and then bring them to the office, you know, for birthdays and stuff like that. And I used to take immense pleasure in sending emails around to the the whole office, you know, a hundred people. Um, literally saying things in the lines of um, I have brought a chocolate cake uh, it's uh, vegetarian vegan and I have to say it is very very moist <laughs> um, more than one person would, would say to me oh, you can't say moist so, what do you mean Mo- moist means moist what, what, what are you saying what are you implying that you know my thing is horny or something no 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 then, then what are you talking about idiot yeah, it, it's mostly women in the states that don't like the word. Uh, I think it's British, British in the UK who don't like the word. <laughs> Nothing to do with gender. It's, it's just that people don't like the word moist. And if I say it like this, if I just use my sexy voice and say, "Jim, you look moist." So here's a, something interesting, and this is going to get off topic before we even get started. <laughs> okay. But at what point are you allowed to say? That a culture has gotten girly without it being – what's the word I'm looking for? Without it being detractive or um, negative, but to merely observe that a culture has gone from being masculine to feminine. At what point are you allowed to say that without it turning into a big argument? Well, uh, the thing is, is what you consider to be masculine and feminine and why. And usually the problem with the word girly – is that it is used as some sort of derogatory thing. Yeah, I, I open poorly. I'll, I'll admit that. Saying girly was the wrong word. But our, our American culture has gotten feminine, right? Okay. And But when I say that, I mean we're more in touch with our feelings. We're less logical than we used to be. And we certainly love to consume and shop now. These okay. are traditionally feminine uh-huh. Attributes, whether or not you like that, I've ascribed it that way. From a naturalist perspective, those are feminine, feminine attributes. They've okay. been traditionally feminine attributes. If they're not anymore, then let's use different words. But we should be at least allowed to have a conversation that says America is less logical than it used to be. America is more feeling and touchy feely than it used to be. America loves to shop and consume. America is more easily offended. Do you see what I'm saying? I, so if we I don't do. use the words masculine or feminine, there's, those things are still happening. Okay. The, the thing is, I don't believe those things are inherit, inherently masculine or feminine. They just are. And they have been right. applied to, to females. Um, I don't know entirely why, to be perfectly honest with you, because men can be just as illogical as women. There sure. Is no, absolutely. Um, there is absolutely. No, nothing that says that women are less logical. Uh, there isn't anything that says that men are less touchy-feely. It's just that we have been raised to be less touchy-feely, but men enjoy a, a cuddle and a hug as much as any woman. Uh, that That's nothing to do with gender. I think what's happening mm. is that there is a little bit more homogenization, if that's the right word, between genders. And what used to be considered feminine is no longer feminine. It's, it's becoming, you know, everybodying. Uh, and, and that's why it's changing, but not because it's becoming more feminine or anything at all like that. It's simply because, you know, uh, people are becoming more equal. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think the equality part is irrelevant. I think, I think a lot of what the other stuff you said strikes true. I, I just don't know what the. I think the pendulum swung so far now that we're 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 left of center in terms of of logic. At least here in the states, we are. This whole voting for Trump thing is a perfect example of people letting their their fears and their feelings override what was best for the nation. Yeah, but again, I, I don't think that's anything to do with femininity or masculinity because both men and women have, have voted 
um, to, for that moron for yeah. for different reasons. I, well, I, I really yeah. think that's that's more a homogenization. I really don't think that's anything to do with with gender, and I don't think that society is becoming more feminine. Yes, it is true that it's becoming less patriarchal. That okay. I, I I would subscribe to that. Um, but I don't think that means that society is becoming more feminine. I, I think it's just that we are breaking the barrier of the things that have traditionally been considered and attributed to women and not to men. Uh, and sure. realizing that men actually can be just like women, women can be just like men. That isn't really that much of an issue. All right, I'll let you have this one. I'll let you have, let you have this round, Doctor. Thank you. Thank you very much, Aguero. And now, are we doing the podcast in my sexy voice? All right. I'll try to talk as deeply as I can as well. That sounds excellent. Excellent. Hello, friends, and welcome. Welcome to the sexiest GMS Magazine podcast, The RPG Room. I am Paco Garcia, your host. And yes, we're going to do the whole podcast in this sexy, sexy voice. Because we're I know for a fact, yeah, I know for a fact that Jim is moist. Uh, we were just discussing how a lot of people don't like that word. No, because uh, moistness brings... 13 patches to people's minds and that is something that brings a lot of discomfort to a lot of parts of a lot of people so your voice is a little breathier than mine is i can't do the the sexy breathy thing you do i can just tone it down an octave and sound a little deeper but i can't do the breathy thing you're doing so my sexiness is only going to sound like this that's because you are not used to breathing Is that the case? Is that true? No, I, I think so. I don't know. Um, I, I, I don't even know if I can keep up this voice for much longer, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but uh, we can certainly try, listeners. And um, if you there's, like- there's nothing sexy about today's topic. It's the weird thing. So I, I, I think we picked the wrong day for Sexy Voice Day. Well, maybe we can make this theme sexy. Because we want to know, listeners, you have a bad, bad game. You have been. <laughs> it's been naughty. No, yes. uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about um, games that have impacted the hobby in a negative way, have had lasting negative effects on the hobby. And not because the games themselves are bad, but because of how they per- were perceived or treated. And somebody online said Magic the Gathering, which mm-hmm. it's not a role playing game, but it did impact the role playing game industry. Yes. Um, and I think that's a really good point. We could probably start with magic, I guess, for a little bit. I think so. <clears throat> the original intent of magic, what it was going to be, was nowhere, was nothing compared to what it turned into. And I think completists and competitive people brought their brought their preconceived notions of what gaming was to Magic the Gathering, and they divided the hobby for a long time. I don't think CCGs are as big now as they were in the day, so it's the people that are playing it probably never would have made their way into role-playing games in the modern age, but um, it had a long-lasting negative impact, I think. I I think, um, to be perfectly honest, I think the impact of Magic the Gathering wasn't necessarily on the gamers themselves, but on the industry as a whole, because an awful lot of people walked away from role-playing games to adhere to Magic the Gathering and spent all their money there. And and I think it took away such a huge, massive, massive amount of money that it crippled the RPG industry uh, from one year to the next. I mean... I. I'm going to compare that to 3.5. I think 3.5 is one of the worst things that was ever brought into the hobby. It's one of many that we're going to talk about today. Um, When 3.0 came along, it galvanized everyone. It created a renaissance. It got people interested in D&D again. People who hadn't played D&D in 15, 20 years 
we're playing D&D again, right? Because we'd had so many other options for a long time. Mm-hmm. And finally, third edition comes along. And with all of its complexities, it was clean. There was a spirit to the, lo- to the rules. There was a logic to the flow. You knew the language and how things were presented. And finally, you had a game where all high dies were good, all low dies were bad sort of logic to mm-hmm. the game. Yep. And then 3.5 comes along. And it makes minor changes that weren't necessary and in my opinion, it split the hobby in three ways. It split the D&D fan base in three ways when that happened. You had people that weren't going to leave their 3.0 behind because they had rules mastery and all those old books. You had people that were going to move on to 3.5 and weren't going to play 3.0. And so now you had a division between those two. And then you had people who just left, who said, oh, fuck this, five years in and now you're already changing the rules. I don't even think it was five years. I think it was closer to three. Um you're changing the rules on us. I'm just going to go back to first or second edition or whatever. So 3.5 was probably one of the worst things that happened. It led to Pathfinder, which for a lot of people is a great thing. So maybe in that regard, it was it was a positive step. But when it happened, I thought it was a huge. It was stupid. I just thought it was absolutely stupid. Well, I think uh, I would only make um, one small change to what just you said there and i would say it's not necessarily 3.5 i think it is wizards of the coast in general because i think the problem wasn't just bringing out 3.5 which i agree with you it uh, it, it split people quite a lot but also their um policies regarding publishing what kind of material is going to be published uh, what kind of books are going to be put out there. I think that had an incredibly detrimental um, effect on on the RPG world in general. Uh, you mean the kind of books that they were going to put out, or yes, that they were going to the, the the kind of books that they put out. Right. Uh, okay. I, fair enough. I, I think uh, the reason I'm going to give is because there were so many books with fluff, so much useless crappy fluff and so so few adventures out there that it became a, a collecting the books more than playing the books you know i i didn't um i i just wasn't interested in that many things i, I just wanted adventures and closing down uh, the dungeon and dragon magazines was an absolutely horrific mistake which gave way to Pathfinder. That, that's the reason Paizo said, you know what, guys? F you. Now we're doing our own thing. The, there's, it's no secret in the industry that I think Ryan Dancy's an idiot. Um, and I've publicly said that so many times, uh, you could tattoo it on me. I think that he his decision to not, when they did the open license and not have a licensing fee like any business would have, mm-hmm. Or something like that, even if it's a thousand dollars to say you have to submit an outline of what your book is going to be about and you have to give us a thousand dollars so we can have somebody on staff who reviews these outlines and approves or just dis- disapproves or whatever it is or asks for changes so that they could have controlled the glut that was coming. Because what you're talking about is a side effect of the glut. There were so many books out by the time 3.5 was out, there was nothing for Watsy to cover. There was nothing left to talk about. Are you going to talk about blue orcs now instead of green orcs? How many mm. books did Mongoose put out? And for perhaps the worst thing that ever happened to the gaming industry is Mongoose. But, I mean, the flat-out glut of shit that that company put out for 3.0 and 3.5 stopped Watsy from ever being able to really cover anything intelligently because they'd already ruined it. Yep, uh, I would agree with that. I think the the OGL, and by the way, uh, our listeners, I have put this question in Facebook before we started recording, and some people are actually contributing. Yeah. And I believe it is Luca, Luca Volpino, who's mentioned the OGL as something that was a very, very bad idea and very detrimental yeah. to the hobby. And I cannot agree anymore. I think the OG- OGL is just the pits not not because of the OGL itself I think it's wonderful to have a system that enables people to publish and to contribute to a system and a game that they love but the fact that they left it completely 
completely unmonitored and no quality control yeah. whatsoever at any point by anyone, even companies selling the products, has been in place. And that is just stupid as hell. Stupid. I can't imagine. Somebody recently asked me if I would license one of my systems. And I said, I, it depends on what you're going to do with it. I'm not going to let you just use my trade dress and my logo to put on any stupid idea. Uh, that's ridiculous. Why would I let that out the door? And so now that I've said I want a little bit of money and I want to be able to review it and approve it, they're, they're thinking twice as whether or not they want to make something for it, which I think they should. Yeah. I think if, if it, there's a cost associated, and I'm not even charging that much, it's just for my time to review their 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 product but if you're not going to protect your identity with some sort of fee and let anybody put any kind of piece of shit i could have put out a book about no masturbating under 3.0 and somebody actually did which is why i used the example i could have put that out under 3.0 and that makes D D look bad not me bad yep yeah i would agree and the I thing is me bad and it actually was Correct. That's funny. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was going to say, you know, and the thing is, they have messed up with licenses. Uh, I'm talking about Wizards of the Coast twice, because then fourth edition came out, which I also think was an absolutely disaster, an absolute disaster for the the hobby itself. Again, not because fourth edition is a bad game. It is not. I absolutely love it, but it divided the D and D crowd so much that really I mean it saved Pathfinder's ass. Yeah 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 completely completely and I think that was the the, the fact that there was a an addition war going on for years and years and years and still people argue about it yeah. is I think it's just it says so so little about us uh, as as a as a hobby and so little as an industry that cannot take that kind of games. It was I, horrible. I think what fourth the, the biggest black eye for fourth edition is nobody really was asking for that version of Dungeons and Dragons. No. I don't think anybody ever said, I really want one where everything feels the same across the board and it's it's just a a World of Warcraft simulation. Nobody was calling for that. No. That's what they made, and they attracted a new fan base with it. And I know there's people that love it and think it's the best edition, but that's not D and D. They could have put a different name on it and uh, released that game. And, and they think. should. They, they, you know, yeah. they they should have done it if they had called it something, you know, different. I don't know anything. Dun- dungeons and um, video games, whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, that would have worked. Dungeons of Warcraft, whatever. That that would have worked fine, and that would still be going on. No questions I d- asked. I don't want to spend too much time talking about Dungeons and Dragons, and the next thing that I'm about to say about Dungeons and Dragons is a little bit tangential, but I have to get out of my system. Mm-hmm. I think the alignment system in Dungeons and Dragons, all the yeah. conversations that go on and on and on about it, I, that people talk about it, how to fix it, and this, that, and the other thing. Everybody's got their own opinion. I think the worst thing about the game is that it even exists, and and this is why. You have a game where the reward system is killing monsters and taking their stuff, looting dead bodies. That is the game that they made. And instead of fixing the reward system for the game, they tacked on an alignment system to create this artificial morality. And so you you have this mishigash of ideas just to fix an amoral game that that just rewards awful behavior. I think when we were kids and we were playing D&D, we figured out pretty quickly looting bodies was ways to get more stuff. And maybe there was no way to ever fix that anyway, but without rules for the alignment system, it's just uh, it's 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 a band-aid. Yeah, uh, and the thing is, I mean, I I just don't understand how or what's the point of having a morality system in a game, for example, where you have your paladins and the paladin, regardless of the morality game, is going to go out there and completely destroy another culture or another species just because, you know, he's an orc, so you must be evil, so I'm going to kill you, even though I am legal good. So I'm legal, I'm good, but I'm still going to destroy you because, you know, racism. 
Right. And why are all paladins lawful good? Why wouldn't there be paladins serving every kind of god, every single alignment? That's so stupid. Yeah. They're they're zealots, right? Paladins are essentially zealots, and there should be a zealot for every alignment on the grid. I don't know. I, we could talk about how stupid paladins are for an entire session. We do yeah. a bards and paladins episode. We, let's move on from D&D, otherwise we'll be here all day. Oh, we could easily. So, 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 so easily. So, okay. So what's your, your next uh, bad game? Uh, next bad game, and believe it or not, I think Fiasco did okay. a lot of harm to the indie movement. How? And it encouraged people to believe that being gonzo and ruining other people's fun was okay. It attracted those kind of players to the indie movement. And now when you go to – I do a lot of meetups in the Seattle area. I don't anymore because I got sick of it. But I did for the first few years I was up here. And anybody that had played Fiasco first before learning any other indie games, when they come to other indie games, all they try to do is ruin them. They try – they run to the, the stupid, to the gonzo. And Fiasco encourages that. It It's – it's an ego machine is what it is. And I don't think that was the original intent. So I'm not slamming the designer here. But what the game ended up doing to the indie movement, I I think it's going to take a long time before that's repaired. And it's still a hugely successful game. It's still selling well. That means people are still discovering it. Yeah. Um, I have mixed feelings about Fiasco because I have had both fantastic experiences playing it sure. and really bad really really bad experiences but most of those experiences the bad ones have been playing with people who either were very inexperienced playing role-playing games or they were just idiots as you say who, who enjoy ruining everybody else's uh, fun right which i can see the point of when it came out, and I, I want to say it came out eight years ago, it came out a while ago, hmm. I, would, I would run it at conventions. I would teach people the game. I liked it. I enjoyed it. But I was playing it seriously. I wasn't playing it to ruin people's fun. And I could not believe how many times I would sit down and teach the game and we would get to that last scene and people didn't know what to do anymore because so much of the game had either already been ruined or they felt they needed to finish the story and they didn't know how to finish the story. And I would it would take forever to finish those last scenes at a table with, with new players explaining you just have to do one more scene. Don't write everything. Just let the scene breathe. Let it do its thing because we're going to have little epilogues at the end of this story. Don't worry about it. And you can't get that. People are so used to the big bad monster at the end of a game. Yeah. That when they're sitting down for something like that, they couldn't grasp it. So everybody would just – one more chance to ruin the fun, right? They would use that last scene as an opportunity to, to spoil the game. And I, I, I don't really know what else to say about Fiasco other than it attracted the wrong mentality to the indie movement. Because not – I would say 99% of indie games aren't like that. They just aren't. Yeah, I I would agree with you. I, I think uh, Fiasco, um, and I I think we haven't seen that that much in in Europe, at least where I have played Fiasco in the UK and Spain. <coughs> um, so I don't know what what is if it is a, some sort of a cultural difference. Maybe you Americans are a little bit more competitive and therefore or a bit goofier than than we're here. I don't know, but yes, I can see. Uh, I can see Fiasco attracting or enabling, not attracting, but enabling that kind of behavior in a game that is casual. You know, you're not meant to have a long campaign, so it doesn't really matter if you piss off your mate for, you know, for a few hours. He's going to be okay next week because you're going to be playing something else. So who cares? It doesn't matter. So I wonder if there's anything to do with that as well. Right. The it doesn't matter mentality is what then permeates the other games and allows people to shit on those other experiences. And if Fiasco is what, 90 minutes to set up, which is one of the things that drives me nuts about it, is how long it takes to set up to get to the same story every single time. The, the, the die rolling at the beginning to set up a story and then within three scenes somebody's got the 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 What's the the Klingon blade? That's on one of the charts. I could not believe he put that in the fucking game. 
there's a Klingon knife or a sword <laughs> or blade or something, the ritual blade. And it's every single time you play, somebody's racing to roll that up and put that into the game. And of course, by scene three, somebody's picked it up and doing something stupid with it. And now you're not playing Fiasco. You're masturbating to somebody's Star Trek fetish. And I, I can't stand that in a game when people race to do that. And I've run games of my own or run other games at these meetups and people have – we played Ribbon Drive once and – Instead of playing Ribbon Drive, which is supposed to be a serious, deep game about exploring yourself and others inside of a, a road trip, these guys turned it into a hitchhiking fiasco where you're picking up people on their way to a Star Trek convention. I mean, immediately wow. fucking shit on that game. And that is because they played fiasco before, and that's what they thought indie games were supposed to be. That is really bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I... I do not blame Jason for the game that he made because his original concept – and Jason has even said publicly he's tired of running that game. He's tired of demoing it. He hates it now. But when he made that game, he had an agenda, and that agenda was immediately taken out of the car, beaten to death on the side of the road, and left bloody by gamers who love gonzo nonsense and weren't allowed to ruin games like that with a game master. And now that there's not a game master – they get to burn the corpse and laugh with glee because they ruined everybody's fun. I'm the one that ruined the fun this time. He he he. Yes, exactly. So fuck you, Fiasco. You make the top of my list of games that I think have ruined the hobby. You know, it's interesting because in Facebook, uh, Jimmy Ringsqvist, he, he says that uh, bad games, something bad, bad happened in the industry. Uh, he says GM-less games puts the GM out of a job. He was making fun of me. That's a funny joke. Yes, no, I, I, I believe that. But he has a point, though, because a game, a GM-less game is a more difficult game to control than a GM-full one. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yes, because with a GM-driven game, at least you have somebody. Uh, of course, if that person is an idiot, then that person is an idiot. But uh, you have somebody to say, oh, come on, you know, don't be stupid. In a GM-less game, it's more difficult to achieve that. Um, for example, at the convention. I've sat in a werewolf game with a game master, mm -hmm. and I watched one guy derail the story for 90 minutes. And the GM could not get him under control. Well, that's because it was a shit GM. Okay, but there you go. So the, the GM is not the linchpin. It's not the, the control factor that you think it is. It if you're be. a bad GM, you're a bad GM. This, the social contract is everything. And if you're an yeah. asshole and you come to the table with the express intent of being an asshole, good GM or bad GM, some, you're going to ruin somebody's fun. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that stay quiet during those sort of disputes and they just watch it unfold and – I, I shut that shit down. I won't. I won't do it loudly or anything at the table. But I will just start ignoring somebody and their nonsense. That's fair enough. Um, no. And then after the game, I will say either you're not welcome or you need to fix that. Because if I address it right there at the table, and we've talked about this in one of the sessions, if you talk about this right at the table, um, you've got a 30 minute argument that's wasting 30 times six people's time at the table, and that and that's just awful. True. And again. It's the same thing as we were talking about the fiasco, that one bad player. So any game that is encouraging people to be shitheads is bad for the hobby, in my opinion. Definitely. And we're only talking about role-playing games today. If we're talking about board games and Oh, God, games, where do we start with this, that? Gosh, that could be a, a weeks-long episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think I was like this when I was younger, too. I think I didn't like assholes ruining fun at the table. I probably have always had a problem with that. And I think... Games that encourage assholery are bad. We have so, a weird list of games here. Somebody said Fatal. They think Fatal is bad for the hobby. Nobody even knows what Fatal is. That's a that's a cult phenomenon on RPGnet. No, actually, it's talked about. No, no, that game actually exists. Yeah, I know that it exists, and but it, is, it hasn't had any impact on the industry. It's a joke. If anything, people get to laugh at it. Uh, yes, it. Yeah, that that's absolutely true. But it it is a game. It's, it's a bad game for the industry. It's, it's a game that can be very, very easily utilized against RPGs and RPGers. Uh, oh, very, very sure. Easily. Very right. easily. 
Uh, in, I guess, in, but are we going to self-police what people can and cannot publish? No, absolutely not. But then this yeah. is not about, I mean, this, this episode is not about whether we should be policing it. It's simply whether something has had a bad impact and it's a bad game for the industry. And I think Fatal definitely is. I mean, I've read, I've managed to read two pages of that book and I thought, you know, well, enough. I, I really cannot put myself through, through this shit anymore. And it is not the only game <laughs> like that. At all. In fact, somebody, as in Alex Flagg, who mentioned uh, Fatal, has uh, brought out My Farog, um, who has been released by a black metal uh, white supremacist fella right. who looks like a complete idiot. Uh, and, and it is, I knew about this game a very long time ago. Uh, and it is horrific. It really is as bad as it sounds. Uh, I, I read a role playing game called Racial Holy War that when fatal was first reviewed racial holy war was on there and one other game was on there there were three in the series of i can't believe these games were made and of course fatal was the most ridiculous but racial holy war i was absolutely shocked that somebody would write any of that and then try to put it out as a role playing game it was it was eye opening i guess because i really didn't know any white supremacists so mm-hmm. i didn't know how they ranked who they hated but apparently they've ranked who they hate and how it's it's amazing it, in that regard. Yeah. It's a horrible game. I don't yeah. recommend that anybody go looking for it. I'm just saying I've read the whole thing and um, it, those kind of games, those kind of just shitty games, those people that want to play those, they're going to go and play those and hopefully they'll be siphoned out of the hobby and go while they're playing all those games. I'm more concerned about the big games that have – you know, Shadowrun. We could talk about Shadowrun right now if we wanted to, and I think people are shocked that I haven't mentioned it yet. Well, well I am surprised that you haven't mentioned it yet. <laughs> you know, Shadowrun is a, is a game that glorifies guns, glorifies equipment lists more than character. It glorifies adventure and murder and killing more than the social mores that are being presented inside the book. So the game's in, original intent I, I, is questionable. I don't know what it was supposed to be. But the world that they built is rich and interesting, and what they've ended up giving fans is is gun porn. And I've said that a million times. I don't need to repeat myself, but it would make my list too. Yeah, I, I agree with you because the problem – I have two big problems with Shadowrun. One is the – at least the, the, the edition I've played – is the mechanic system, which is absolutely appalling. You know, just rolling 30 to 60s is just stupid. Uh, but also, that in that game, you're only as good as the amount of equipment you can carry. Yeah, yeah. And, and I find that be, to, to be just horrid, horrid concept. You know, if, if you have an awful lot, if you're a hacker and you have a huge amount of circuitry within yourself, then yay, go with you. You, you are fantastic. But otherwise, you can be incredibly clever, incredibly quick, incredibly anything, but you're shit because you don't have enough equipment. That's bad. Yeah. That's bad character design. And I hate it. And on that front, uh, Luca Volpino also is mentioning Vampire. Yeah, uh, he's be- wrong. He's absolutely wrong. But well, that's okay. He's allowed to be wrong. Well, I I agree that he's wrong, but he let's remember he's talking from Italy. Right. And um, apparently in Italy, he says it renewed the uh, gaming is evil uh, trope. Oh, that did it? On. Yeah. Oh, okay. A- apparently, apparently so. It it did, and in I'm going to say in Spain, it wasn't a bad thing, but it was very controversial because until then, no other RPG had allowed you or enabled you to play a hedonist character, you know, or somebody who is uh, openly exploring their sexuality or using their sexuality as right. a tool to get their aims so yeah i think that it is i would qualify vampire as a controversial game i'm not sure i would say that it was a bad game for for the industry i was working in a game store in the early 90s when it was big when it first came out and it was big and it was a joke to us to most of us everybody laughed at the kind of people that would show up in all black to shop in a store they were the kind of kids that you knew probably got their ass beat a lot in school, mm. and here they were pretending to be monsters, and it made it made it sort of funny to us. And I know that now as an adult that was an immature stance for me to take, but at the time, 
we didn't take it seriously. And then once I started actually playing it seriously myself, I realized, holy crap, all this gothiness stuff is stupid and it's in the way of all the real rich, good story that's behind this mythos. You get rid of the modern goths and the industrial music and you look at the politics of this world and it was genius. I I just think that the, the Anne Rice bullshit that was tacked onto it is what probably ruined it and made it such a joke for so long. Yeah, probably. Um, I, I found Anne Rice's books um, interesting for two books. Uh, I would say Changeling was worse for the hobby than Vampire ever was. Actually, I was going to say Werewolf. Oh, yeah, well, I've bagged on Werewolf enough over the past couple of years, but yeah, Werewolf was such a stupid game. Yeah, I I, I just saw, you know, it, it made the concept you know that you know that there are vampires that should be werewolves. I thought, okay, that makes sense. But when I read the book, I just thought, what the hell were they thinking? What's this? This doesn't. No, I don't like it. And a lot of my friends thought exactly the same thing. Yeah. So, also um, over here again, Mister Rinkvist is saying Cult was a very uh, very bad game in Sweden. Yeah. Uh, I, said, I remember when it first came out. I was working at a game store. When that came out too, and uh, we loved it as soon as it came out, but well, everybody probably because did. it was it was seriously dark. Yes, it was seriously meaty, and I remember playing it a couple times at conventions, and wow, people were not prepared for that game. No, absolutely not, and I think society in general wasn't prepared for that game, and I can yeah. see what he's um, describing of that game being taken out of the shelves. I I can see that. Uh, and funnily enough, it's not the only game that was taken out of the shelves, at least in Spain, because Inomine Satanis yeah. also was taken out of the, of the shelves. I mean, that, that is a game that my mum saw, and she flipped. I don't know how we did an American translation of that game. The, I, I think that somebody just saw the sales numbers in Europe and said, we need to bring that to the States without knowing what was going on, because when it came to the States, it was a completely different game. We don't have the Anomine game that you have. Well, Ours is goofy and colorful, and oh no, no, and you have all these different factions of demons, and it. The I have seen the French version. I know what's in the gatefold. I know the piece of art that shocks the shit out of people that is in that game, um, and I can't believe that somebody thought, "Let's bring this to the states." Because well, that thing's blasphemous on a level that that D and D and cult can't touch. Absolutely, and and that's why it was to some degree uh, bad for for the hobby. At least again in in Spain, I kid you not. I mean, my parents were used to seeing me playing RPGs. They they had seen me for years doing so. But I'm not joking. My parents flipped when they saw Inominus Satanis, and they just read the back bit of the book, oh, and, yeah. and they went absolutely. Yeah. Ballistic, ballistic. So, uh, yeah, that, that game, ouch, ouch. Uh, somebody also is mentioning, uh, as in Jason Dandy is mentioning, Race War Tournament of Rapist. Those are two different games. Uh, Race War is the one I talked, I already mentioned. Okay. Race, it's called actually Racial Holy War. Um, Oh, okay, and he spelled race as in racing race, not... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, Tournament of Rapists, I heard that that was on drive through RPG. I don't know if it's there anymore. Um, I believe it was made simply for shock value. I don't know that it's... Again, it's another, It's in that category of, of game that I really don't think impacts the hobby. It's people just trying to, to be assholes. You know, I'm not sure. I think that one, I remember the controversy. I remember how long it went on for. And I think that really had a very, very negative impact on on the hobby itself. Um, because I there were a number of people out there, and I'm talking about uh, well-regarded OSR authors. We all know who they are who went for the, oh, no, no, this should be published because people should be able to publish whatever they want. And they would not respect or want to agree with drive through RPG when they said, well, we're taking this out of our shelves because it's just yeah. not appropriate. 
Yeah. Oh, you have been censorious. You're censoring people from doing well, publishing what they want to publish. Wow. They're a storefront. They have every right to exactly. choose, pick and choose. I wish they, and hopefully we're going to have Steve Wick on one of these days. Um, I really want to get him on the air talking about more stuff getting cut from their shelves because of the glut. But uh, picking that game and saying, no, we don't want this representing us, that's absolutely within their purview. They absolutely. should be doing that. Absolutely. I don't, I'm against censorship. That guy should be allowed to publish his game, but he's got to go find a market for it. That's not drive throughs responsibility. Exactly. Exactly. No. And I think people mistake publishing with selling. They're two different things, okay? Two yeah. different things. You can publish yes. whatever the bloody hell you like, sell it yourself. You don't have to say through drive-through RPG. There you go. And I think drive-through RPG did exactly the right thing. So screw it. But there were, again, it is these, uh, I think there were two authors at the time, one of which I did have an argument uh, because he said, no, oh, no, you should be able to publish whatever you like and you shouldn't be, you know, censoring anybody. And a few days later, he called on deleting some reviews because, oh, this guy's giving me one-star reviews and he's just copying and pasting the same reviews through all my products and that's affecting <laughs> me badly and that should not be allowed. So, right, you fucking hypocrite. <laughs> yes. Fucking hypocrite. Oh, no, but look, this is a copy and paste. So bloody what yeah. you're saying that somebody who should be able to say you know tournament of rapists and uh, that should be absolutely fine and drive through rpg through, through should go with it but a reviews bad even if they're fake bad reviews about your product should be taken out you fucking hypocrite yeah so uh sorry i had to take that get it no. out of my chest yeah. I, I have said this before uh, to, to people in the industry, and they don't like it when I say this. I said, if you want if you want to hear positive feedback, you've got to accept that there's also going to be negative feedback. And even in this case, when it's fake, he put himself out there. He decided to release a game called Tournament of Rapists. Mm. Nobody forced him to make that game. Nobody forced him to, to publish it. I mean, what a, what a chode. Who fucking does that and then is shocked yeah, exactly. that there was negative response? Oh, I can't believe that the world isn't ready for a game ab about this tournament. Exactly. I'm shocked. I'm shocked and appalled. Exactly. Well, and that, that was ridiculous. I don't know him. I don't even know the guy's name. I don't, I don't really want to know. Oh, I don't okay. care. Um, I, I just remember when I heard about it, I, I talked privately with some people about it. I didn't talk online. And I just said, I can't believe that this, somebody thought that there was a market for this. Correct. I agree. And, you know, on that note, I am going to go, I'm going to notch up the controversy here a little bit. And I'm going to say that something that has been really, really bad for the hobby, hobby and the industry, it's been the OSR movement. Hmm, that's, that's dangerous territory, but I will listen. I think um, not because of OSR games. Okay, mm -hmm. I have... Nothing bad about OSR games, but the OSR movement has been so divisive and is hosting a number of well-known idiots who are, I believe, hurting the hobby a lot by insisting that just because they are able to publish something even if it is shit, they should go out and publish it. And they're bringing out an awful lot of pain to an awful lot of people for no reason. I, okay. I'm, I'm going to agree that there's a lot of bad people in that movement that are probably giving it a black eye. I don't know that the movement itself is 100% responsible, but they have gravitated to it. Um, well, I just think most of the bad controversy that I see, uh, especially in Google+, which is a site I don't visit uh, anywhere near something anymore because I don't have the time, most of the controversies are either originated, supported, or um, promoted by OSR people. I, I, I don't belong to really any Facebook groups anymore. I got sick of following them. But a long time ago when I first joined Facebook, somebody put me in the old school role-playing game group mick leeches i don't know if you know who mick leeches no 
he owns Midgard Publishing or whatever the name of that company is. He just threw me into the group and uh, there were some people in there. I made a lot of friends in there, a lot of great people that I met in that group. But I left the day that they started posting nude pictures and nobody was taking them down and everybody was defending that, you know, this is okay. The group was fine up until that moment. And all of a sudden, these women who were complaining about it were getting censored and getting yelled at or getting booted from the group. And people just kept posting nudes. And I just said, okay, you know what? I'm done. I'm not even going to fight any of this. You, you just lost a customer. And that's when I sort of started detaching myself from a lot of online Facebook groups because I realized that they're not really well moderated and that that kind of behavior – I don't think that that kind of behavior is the majority. I think it's just a lot easier for people to just go along and not complain about it when it happens. And when you see it happening in an OSR group like that, I, you kind of just – your stomach turns a little bit that nobody wants to stand up for this. And, and when, I, I really don't like fighting online, so... Well, I, when I you stand up away. for it, you, you just get uh, belittled, you get bullied, and you get yeah. harassed because you're standing for it. Yeah. Uh, because people rather continue being assholes because it's easier to be an asshole than it is to be a good person. And, and I'm not offended easily. I, it wasn't a matter of me being offended because I don't really give a shit what anybody posts. You can... If you want to post pictures of dead puppies, that's your prerogative. But that doesn't mean I need to follow you. It doesn't mean that I need to pay attention. It doesn't mean I need to listen. I have a right to control as I get older especially. I have a right to control what gets into my conscious and subconscious. And if you're going to do this and you're going to behave like this, you're, this isn't reflective of who I want to be. So I respect their right to be to, – to post and publish anything they want to. And I respect my right to not be part of it. Yeah, and the right to call it for what it is. You know, so shit, shit. Maybe the OSR movement needs a splinter group that's just about the game and not about the politics and the bullshit and the noise. Or maybe they just need to grow up, at least the few that are just fucking up all the time. It's disappointing, too, because I would really like to write a couple of OSR adventures and an OSR RPG. I really would like to sit down and do that. But I don't know if I have the temerity to go through and... Market to those kind of, those people, not those kind of people. That sounds awful, but to those those groups and listen to some of that because I don't know. It's not who I want to be as a designer. And I rest my case. I mean, how how bad is a movement that puts off an author from bringing out quality material? Yeah. How how, I don't is, know. how is that good for the hobby? I don't know. Well, I mean. You know, a lot of the hipster indie movement I don't want to be a part of either. It's a reason I don't make the the really just – I don't know what to call it. There's so many of these really tiny-minded, microcosmic ideas that people keep shoving into the indie movement. And I just think five people want to play that game. Why did – what were you thinking? That is so stupid. And the, some of these mechanics I see coming up and – I don't want to brag, but protocol is really, really simple, and it's designed that way to get more people playing indie games, not push people away. And every time I see another indie game coming out, it makes me wonder, why am I making these kind of games too? Why don't I just make a, a Savage Worlds expansion and just do that for the rest of my life? No, Don, not Savage Worlds. I just needed an example of what popped in my hand. I can't say GURPS anymore. No, but you can use a good example. <laughs> uh, I think I've said this before. I like uh, I like Shane. I like Pinnacle. I like Savage Worlds. I think the player base that I continue to encounter are the worst game masters in the industry. That, that so maybe sense. we can say that despite – we can add that to the list. Despite the fact that Savage Worlds is a good idea and mm -hmm. a good game, yep. it has been bad for the hobby because it is a – it has empowered all these shitty GMs. Has GURPS been good for the hobby? Mm, I don't know. I think when it first came out, it was. I don't think... I think it got toxic after a while. And I don't like that word toxic, but I don't know a better word at the moment. Um, I think... I think compartmentalizing and reducing all role-playing games to the same essential parts and then putting out a splat book of essentially a wikipedia page i mean that's all those books were with a couple of new advantages and i i think that that was 
harmful over time. Right. And certainly the fact that my character has a half a point in astro navigation and a half a point <laughs> in botany, I, that's just – what's the point? I actually in high school sat down and tried to make myself as a character just based on all the little things that I knew. And I think I was a 200-point character. It was ridiculous. You can't – it was it was just measuring every single little – so yeah, I said no at the beginning, but I'm going to take that back and I'm going to say, yeah, GURPS was bad for the hobby. Ta-da. Yay. So all I had to do was think about it. You know, I get the feeling that we have mentioned pretty much every single game over there. Actually, that's not- <laughs> we, have, we have maybe the big stuff anyway. All also, the big stuff is bad. Well, that's not true, though. We haven't mentioned Call of Cthulhu, and I cannot imagine a reason why Call of Cthulhu would have been bad for the hobby. Ah, okay. Well, I'll attack Call of Cthulhu. I'll okay. happily attack Call Go of Cthulhu. Go for it. Go for it. So Call of Cthulhu, and I don't think that this was Sandy Peterson's original intent, but is essentially just Scooby-Doo every time you play it. And it's because you're waiting for the moment where someone goes crazy and all the wackiness ensues. The novels, the role-playing game does not feel anything like the novels. The role-playing mm-hmm. game is good. I love the role-playing game, and I really don't have anything bad to say about it other than it doesn't feel like the novels. You're never playing any of the stories traditionally, and the only thing that I liked in that game was the Sandy Points. And it feels like we've talked about this before. We talk about so much stuff, I feel like we, we come back again. Okay. But, um, but okay. But let me let me stop you there for a second because you are mentioning the difference between the game and the novels itself. But would right. that did that make it bad for the hobby? The fact that it's not doesn't yeah. really properly no. capture Lovecraft's uh, atmosphere. Well, I mean, if you look at the fact that they're now Cthulhu plushies, that's probably bad for the hobby. I think that Cthulhu has become a punchline and not a terrifying monstrosity like it was 100 years ago in the books. Not really 100 years ago, but you know what I mean. Transcendental horror was terrifying when it first appeared on the the landscape. And now, I mean, you can get a bumper sticker with a – drawn by John Kowalik showing Cthulhu munching on a sandwich. I mean, how terrifying is that? I think – Putting it into the mainstream and making it digestible for 12-year-old girls, that's that's bad, right? I don't know. I, I just don't see that being bad for the hobby. I, I just don't. I, I yeah, I, okay. I'm probably stretching the definition too far. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. Call of Cthulhu is a fucking genius product. I I tried to say that it was bad. I really tried. I couldn't do it. No. Are you I, happy? Are you happy? It made me look bad. No, it didn't. Happy with that, Paco? Well, it didn't make you look bad. It just made you look like you have a big mouth. <laughs> Sorry, that that's the sort of thing that I should have said. I just made you look like you have oh, a, very, what a dick. very big mouth. <laughs> it's moist. It's moist. It's warm. And, it's, and full circle. Yeah. Can, we, uh, can we sign off now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>